Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hi, I'm Paco Romain. I'm George Chen, and you're listening to SupDoc, where we celebrate the good, bad, and ugly of documentaries with insightful interviews, unscripted humor, games, and the occasional horrible impression. On today's episode, we sat down with comedian Alex Hooper to talk about the Academy Award-winning documentary, Man on Wire. Man on Wire is a 2008 documentary directed by James Marsh. The film chronicles Philippe Petit's 1974 high-wire walk between the Twin Towers of New York's World Trade Center. The film is crafted like a heist film, presenting rare footage of the preparations and still photographs of the walk, alongside reenactments and present-day interviews with the participants. Alex Hooper has a strong connection to this doc because he recently started slacklining, and we uncovered the connection between performing comedy and walking on a wire without a net. Yep. Alex's new album, Hugs, Drugs, Pugs, is currently available on a Special Thing Records and all streaming services. And now, here's Alex. And in the living room, we've got Alex Hooper. Hi, Alex. Hello, George. Hello, Paco. Hi, Alex. Thanks and for you, joining us. Yeah. Glad to be here. It's, and it's a comedian as well. Comedian Alex Hooper. Yes, exactly. Could be whatever. I don't know what you usually have on here. Rodeo clown Alex <laughs> Hooper. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Prison guard Alex Hooper is joining <laughs> us today. Well, I, I like it when people have done things before comedy. Yeah. Like when I meet like a lot of like lately like 18 to 20 year olds that are just like at open mics. I'm like, what, what life experience do you have? Like, this is interesting. Like, I like it when people have had, like Paco and I both had a lot of other weird, like life experience before we got into this. Okay. So then right. duck boat tour guide, former <laughs> duck boat tour guide, Alex Hooper, everybody. Oh, really? Is here. Where was this duck boat tour? Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh? Pennsylvania. Oh, nice. I did over 1500 tours in three years. It doesn't sound like it was like in, in Nam or something. I did over 1500 tours through downtown Pittsburgh, <laughs> Pennsylvania. And I've never is, been the same. That is like Nam, right? A little bit? A little bit. Pittsburgh? Yeah. It's, uh, you were in the shit. You were in the shit. Do you ever go to yeah. the Millvale industrial theater? Oh, I know about Melvin. I used to go over there. Um, Mr. Smalls was a concert venue over mm-hmm. there. It was in an old church, and I used to go over to Mr. Smalls a lot to see music. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. The one time I'd been in Pittsburgh was like we played in uh, some gallery, but it was run by this guy who used to put on all the underground shows in Pittsburgh. Like, he was, his claim to fame was that he had put on the Nirvana concert in like 92 or something. Well, there you go. Yeah. Somebody had to book them back then. Did you grow up in Pittsburgh? No, Baltimore. Okay. Yeah, I went to school in Pittsburgh though, so that's what I, that was my job during college. It was ducky boats. <laughs> What's this? What, is it Carnegie Mellon or no? No, I went to Point <laughs> Park like, University. Yeah, <laughs> Point Park University. It's uh-huh. a small liberal arts school. Like I think now it's up to maybe like five or six thousand students. They grew a lot while I was there. They were in a very big growth period, but I was there. It was like four thousand. Just you know, they gave me a lot of scholarship money, so mm, nice. made sense to go there. Yeah. What was your art? What was your medium? Oh, theater, just like every other douchebag comedian in the theater. Like, not everyone, but uh, yeah, I was I didn't know I didn't know what to do with my life. So I was like, you know what? 
pretending to be a tree for six hours a day seems pretty okay with me right now. So <laughs> it seems like a good way to spend 25 grand a year, doesn't it? So, yeah. Well, yeah. 25 grand a year. Was it, it was a public school? It was no, it was a private. It was it was a, it was a university, but it was a private university. Um, I got a big scholarship though, like forty grand total. Whoa. So I almost cut it in half. Uh, so which is why I went there. And what big, was that? What was that based on? Did you do a lot of dude, stuff in high school? I, I could talk about this for hours. <laughs> I mean, I I dropped, I, I dropped out of high school when oh. I was a senior. Uh, ended up going to community college for a year and then got nominated for this thing called the presidential scholarship based on academics, leadership skills, and community service, all three of which <laughs> I was severely lacking in. But somehow uh, I got fun. nominated for the scholarship and it was, it was based on an inter, it was interview based, uh, more than anything else. They nominated 250 to give it to 50. And I walked into that interview going, there's no way I'm not getting this scholarship. And the guy sat me down he goes, tell me something about Alex Hooper. I wouldn't know from your transcript and i was like okay i dropped out of high school and he goes what and i was like because i had hidden all of that i was like i got rid of all that information and the guy's like you dropped out of high school and i was like yeah i did and he looks at me and he goes you know what that's exactly what this school needs they what? need those students that know when they're done with high school and are ready for the next level i can't tell you anything officially but unofficially you're getting this scholarship i was oh, like man. yep that's how we do it. The Alexi Predictive wow. Gap has been paying off for for a while. many years. Many my you know my family always told me someone's gonna punch me in the face. They never said you're gonna get a forty thousand dollars scholarship yeah. with that mouth. So, you know, use That's it how you hilarious. will. <laughs> That's hilarious. They're like, you know what? We need some dropouts in yeah, this art school. Exactly. There's too many overachievers. Art schools can't have that many overachievers. No, we they need people like me to come in and shake up the status quo, you know, that <laughs> yeah. aren't going to do their homework and scene you, studies. You're like in the shadows of the of the school stairwells and being like, Psh, yeah, you need some drugs? Yeah, I mean, essentially, yes. And you know what's <laughs> funny? But what's funny about it is I look at so many of the people I went to school with that either got out of, like, acting or performing completely, and I just think that they all looked at me like I was the messed up one, that I was the one who had no potential. And I was like, no, I think I'm just the one that's being real about yeah. all of this and keeping my expectations grounded and centered to the point where it's like you guys all want to be like broadway stars i just want to go you know be in some commercials or something mm -hmm. and just make a living and you know yeah. Paco, you, you had experience selling drugs in high school did i, I your mom's oh. riddling or something you've been accused <laughs> of selling drugs in oh high school. oh right no yeah i grew up in a very small town and i was i uh had my own apartment in high school so i was the cocaine dealer that everyone everyone thought i dealt cocaine because because you had I your did. own apartment as a 17 year old yeah and yeah. i was i was skinny so they were just like you put all those together this kid doesn't eat he lives on his own and i also had a mullet so i mean that makes sense. And then you're actually. called Paco. I think that helps. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That helps as well. So, yeah, sometimes you get slapped. Well, people just don't know what to do with people like probably like yourself, like you're saying in art school. They're like, we don't know what to do with this guy. He didn't follow the path. Right. You know, I've never and his, I never have everything I've ever done. The reason why comedy has worked so well for me is because anything I've ever had to do, I have to do my own way. If there's a specific order in which I have to do things like putting together Ikea furniture, my brain gets flustered <laughs> and annoyed. And if I miss one step, I like break down and cry. Oh, I, yeah. I need, I'm like that, too, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And rules, rules and order are like, yeah. I can't do it. 
And that's why, like, I was so misguided my whole life because I couldn't follow the rules or follow the path. And then so all of a sudden when I when I started doing stand-up and they were like, oh, people are like, you can just do whatever you want. I was like, whatever I want, <laughs> you say. <laughs> but so let me ask you. act out on a podcast. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> let me ask you this, Alec. I'm going to I'm gonna raise my hand sometimes. I think it makes it a little easier. But let me ask you this. Um, did you follow the rules of stand-up, though? Like, when you first started, did you, like, read a book? Did you go to open mic and ask people how to do it or did I, you just I did I started with bringer shows because nobody told me differently and a friend of mine that didn't also didn't know any better kind of pushed me into it that way so I started doing bringer shows and I didn't do an open mic for the first six months I did stand up because nobody told me to go do that like <laughs> and everybody was like oh yeah just keep doing these shows this is what we all do because I wasn't meeting comics that were serious about it, I was meeting other bringer show comics. Mm -hmm. So I started in LA and nobody told me better. And then eventually I learned, I was like, oh, I need to go to open mics. I need to go to like two or three a night and for a while and just kind of learn to discover what I want to do and how I want to be mm -hmm. on stage. Uh, and then so I kind of started following a more direct route, but I always told myself in my head, like, don't look at what other people are doing as much and just kind of keep your head down and whatever you think an idea no matter how crazy it is, just run with it and see what happens and let yourself fail before other people tell you that it's not going to work. That That is an awesome lead-in. Everything you just said is an awesome lead-in yeah. to not fucking Philippe. Yeah. Not yeah. following a path, not knowing the fuck you're doing, creating your own way and having a singular vision because it's what you want to do. Fucking Philippe Petit. Yes. Am I right? 100%. Yeah. This, uh, I... Uh, I I first saw this documentary many years ago and loved it. And then and I, about almost a year ago, I started slacklining myself, which for those that don't know, it's essentially like tightrope walking, except it's on a loose, uh, a loose like wire. Basically, it moves up and down and side to side. And you and every time I'm on it, somebody will walk by me when I'm at the park or the beach and be like, have you seen that documentary about that guy? And I always be like, yeah, I have, but it's been years. So now to watch this again and listen to the way he speaks about just needing to do it, it's very, I, I resonate with him as a tightrope walker, but also as a comedian of just like, I need to do this thing. And it's the only way I, my craving will be satisfied. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. So when you when you slack line, what is that, three, four, five feet off the yeah, ground? Yeah, just like, like a few feet off the ground. It, yeah, I, I'm, not, I'm not ready to go over bridges yet by any means. Right. Where, if you could pick, do you have your uh, twin towers? Do you have your, your there's place? A, people do it in uh, in Arches National Park. Uh, there's a few setups that people have done in Arches or in Yosemite that I've seen like high wire footage of. And I would love to like in my mind, like part of me thinks like, yes, one day I will be able to do that. Like, you know, not, you know, not like a I'd be strapped in like I would have a leash on so that if I fell, I'd be OK. But I would like to think that mentally I could get to a point where I could get there. But the people that do that, I mean, it's literally they, they dedicate their life to doing that. And I don't and I've met a few people and I that that all they do is slack line and I don't understand how they have any money 
uh, or any, they just mm-hmm. seem like, they basically just seem like drifters, like, you know, like climb, like <laughs> climbing vagrants, you know, there's a lot of people that live in Yosemite that essentially have no money. They just kind of live as poorly as possible because they just want to climb all day. Right. And I've met slackliners like that. that are like, no man, you got to do it every day. You got to dedicate your whole life to this. And I'm like, oh, I dedicated my life to something else. Like this is just a hobby. Yeah. Well, that's what's bizarre about this because I think about it. Like, uh, he didn't really he, he wrote a book, but other than that, like he didn't really get sponsorships or anything. Like, <laughs> right. He didn't capitalize off of it. And he, I mean, I was watching this more recent interview with him from maybe like 2014, where he's like, "Yeah, like I don't care. I don't want money. I, I don't really. I just want to be able to do this." Yeah, yeah. And that's you can live if you if you have a singular uh, passion like that, you can live very frugally and still have a perfectly happy life just walking on your wire. He did get a groupie, though. We have to say that is a big part of this movie. Like yeah. he gets a groupie at one point. You can have a so, tightrope groupie. I, I feel like they probably left out some other groupies as well. Like yeah. it did singularly focus on his girlfriend. How, I mean, it is they do kind of seem like the carnies of thrill seekers, you know, like, yeah. like tightrope walking. Very much so. It's 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 a rare breed that suddenly I think steps up onto something like that and goes, "Oh, this is the only place where I want to be for the rest of my life is just balancing on this thing." Yeah. Well, let me ask you this, Alex. I mean, this is one of my favorite documentaries. I was so happy when you picked this because I love this documentary. Um, can you set it up for the people who haven't seen Man on Wire? Yeah. Can you just kind of set it up for them? Yeah, it's uh, it centers around uh, a man named Philippe Petit. Uh, he's a French uh, acrobat and wire walker. And it starts off with him kind of going. He first uh, does the Cathedral of Notre Dame uh, in France, I believe. That's the first highway wire walk he actually does and then he does the bridge in sydney uh the main bridge by the opera house he like sets it up between there he gets arrested each time he does it he has to go through these elaborate schemes to be able to set up his wire illegally uh and then he learns about the world trade centers being built he sees a picture uh in the paper that they're going to build the world trade towers in new york city and he sees this opportunity to have the greatest Uh, place ever to set up a wire in between. But of course, they wouldn't just let you do that. So he has to set up. It's it's like it is like it's like a it's like a heist. It's like a bank heist movie. It's almost as with the intricacy of Ocean's Eleven or one of those movies. He needs a team of people to get him into this building time and time again, just so that one day he can set up a wire and walk between it, knowing he'll still get arrested. You, you said this was like a bank heist movie? Yeah. That's, that's, that's kind of awesome. how I see it. I mean, it really – so much – very <laughs> – so little of the movie is actually him walking on the wire that's because funny. that it is, it is years of buildup for him to be able to do this. And yeah. literally he gets the singular vision of this is the only thing that will make me happy in my life is walking between these two buildings yeah. that are not even built yet. Uh, and <laughs> the fact that he has a team of people go along and they – you never – learn what any of them do or anything like that it just seemingly there's like oh these four people are like okay this is your vision well then i will put myself in danger to get you there it's so bizarre (laughs) it's an international team there's like an australian a bunch of americans a bunch of french people yeah it is like you're very much 11z yeah 
That's so funny. I never fucking I've seen this doc like six times. I've never thought about it like that. It is set up like a thriller. Yeah, How did it, I fucking it miss truly that? is. I mean, the amount of like times when they're just hiding in the World Trade Center's <laughs> wall, security, and they're telling the stories of security guard walking by, and they would be underneath a tarp, mm-hmm. like the three of them, for hours <laughs> at a time, trying to not breathe. And I mean, yeah. right. the, and then when it gets into the fact of, well, how are we actually going to set up the wire and the trials and tribulations of them just actually having getting the wire from one tower to mm-hmm. another, the planning and detail of this i mean thousands upon thousands of hours were spent just to get yeah. to that point where you could spend an hour walking on it even yeah, the right, little yeah. models they built the little cardboard models because this is another thing i was listening to uh philippe petit got interviewed by neil degrasse tyson for his podcast and oh, wow. they're talking about yeah just the fact that those buildings were designed to sway three to six feet at any given time because of like temperature fluctuations and just the fact that they're so fucking tall and he's just like yeah you change a a wire three to six feet and it'll just snap yeah so they had to like build like i I guess they didn't talk about this in the this doc but apparently in this interview he's like we had to put wood around the steel beams so that the wood could absorb the tension otherwise it would have just snapped from the metal beam itself would have just cut the wire it's it's just oh, so wow. it's so insane like the amount of like having to every single factor of walking on that wire like was thought about mm-hmm. um and because it's in the same way that if one thing went wrong like during a bank heist then it's all going to fall apart and so the planning mm-hmm. and the frustration of getting to this point where literally this man could just do it for, you know spend a few minutes now i have a question for you alex because like i am afraid of heights i would never mm-hmm. do what you do i would never do the slacklining now the the pole that he uses that's yes. the the cross beam pole. Do you do that with slackliners? No, slackliners don't need the much. pole. Yeah. yeah, the the pole is because the tightrope is rigid. So because the it's rigid and not moving at all, the pole is to help you hold on to it to keep your center of balance. Mm-hmm. Where since the slackline it will move up and down and side to side, it's your job as the walker to flow with the line. Mm-hmm. So the more rigid it is, it actually the harder it becomes. Mm-hmm. And so when I set up a line, like I'll have it like a hundred feet long, fairly loose. So I can, so it will dip in and out about three feet or so from the, like up and down Mm -hmm. while I walk on it. And that's how you stay up there is you learn to flow with the line instead Mm -hmm. of fighting against it. A tightrope walker, from what I understand, I've never actually done it, but from what I've read, the differences between Mm -hmm. a tightrope walker needs that pole to keep their center of gravity. Whereas a slack liner moves with the line the tightrope walker needs to just stay centered. So in the last year, your core has probably increased. Oh my God. It's like I, 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 I'm so bad. I'm so like terrible. <laughs> sometimes I'll just literally take off my shirt and like stand in my hallway, like with my arms up in front of my girlfriend, like standing there just like, Oh, did you see this babe? Like you and Terrence Newman. Yeah. Essentially. It's the two of us. Your Instagram photos together. (laughs) (laughs) I have, uh, over the past year, my Instagram has been mostly me shirtless between pug yoga and slack lining. It's just been me and leggings shirtless. Uh, so yeah, I mean my strength, my, my strength has, uh, increased so much. My Mm -hmm. mental stability has increased so much. The amount of just like meditation that I go through when I'm up there and the focus that I have, it is literally, 
it's it sounds really cheesy, but it's literally balancing to have a more balanced life. Mm-hmm. It's essent is exactly what it's given me, and I never realized the things it would do for me just as a full person. But man, it feels good. What is like? Let's let's take a, just a minute or so and think about the parallel. I feel like there's a lot of parallels between stand up comedy and and slack lining and or tightrope. Hundred percent. I've never done it. Right. That's the point. <laughs> yeah, no, I've, uh, I've I've compared these before, and it really like um, it's something that you can do by yourself um, or with friends. But once you're and your friends can push you, but once you're actually on stage or on the line, it is completely up to you to control yourself and the uh, and the line. If the like, if you think of the line like the audience. It's your job to control it, but sometimes it's going to flip you and sway you in ways that you weren't expected, and it's your job to understand how it's throwing you and get yourself back to what I call zero, which is being perfectly centered again. And there's times on, like, if you get a heckler that suddenly throws something at you, and you're right. in the middle of a joke, you it's your job to pivot and not ignore what happened. You can't ignore it. You have to just pivot with it and get yourself back to being the one in control. And slacklining is very much a part of that as much as you want to progress is how much you will progress and the amount of time you put into it is how much better you will get yeah. but that feeling of when you're you're in the zone like when you're when you're on stage and everything's going right the audience is with you you're all one unit but you're the conductor and no matter what you do you're in it i've had those moments in slacklining where you're just up there and everything kind of drifts away and your body just and mind just take over and you're you're barely the one in control anymore because everything you just know exactly what to do. Right. Awesome. There's also this thing about having like stand up comics. We all have friends who want to help us out and we like good buddies who we can tell our jokes to who give us like some ideas for tags and punches and stuff. Uh, but then it's just you up there by yeah. yourself and, and the best people make it look like they're just making it up. Like there wasn't hours of preparation involved. Yeah. You that's, I mean, that's always our job. It's just like, how can it make it look like this was the first time I've said this, even though it's the thousandth, thousandth time I've said it. <laughs> well, someone like and, a Jean-Louis could be kind of like your your friend that's just like, I don't know if that works. You have to have a friend that's telling you like, look, I know why you think this is the right, this is right, but please listen to me from an outside perspective. Like, I think I know what I'm talking about here. And like, yes, you can listen to them all you want, um, but it's... And you know, in the end, when you're up there, they're not there, doing it. Yeah, yeah, you got to be the one that's up there. <laughs> but you, that, I mean, the difference is, is obviously the stakes of like plummeting <laughs> to your death versus just dying on stage. Yeah, right. the crazy part to me, like, uh, like in slacklining, you're taught pretty much to never look down. And there's the moment in Man on Wire when he just sits and just looks straight down. <laughs> and I was just like, I like my like my stomach dropped out. No, nope. my nope, heart nope. like stopped beating for a nope. second. Like nope. I was like, no, no. The whole thing nope. is like, look straight ahead. Yeah, understand what is below you, but like, don't look because you're ver- like you know all of your equilibrium will get thrown off. And yeah. when he the way he's able to lie down and just Let's, like look straight uh, up i mean that is insane I'm fidgeting in my chair just thinking about it yeah <laughs> but also like did any of you guys see the walk with joseph gordon levitt i have not seen the walk. i haven't either did you see it paco Mm-mm, no because they shot that in imax in 3d yeah that's like one oh. of the options is just watching that and it, obviously CGI recreations because you don't have the original towers to to reference anymore. So it's it's but it's good. The, just having 
a 3D version of that in like IMAX just sounds yeah so it must it must have been so crazy. crazy yeah but then just yeah. Levin didn't really have to do any of that probably but he seems like a weird casting for that first of all he, like he didn't yeah. look like the dude I thought of like young Malcolm McDowell you know like, yeah he very much looks like a yeah. young Malcolm McDowell yeah very I kept thinking that when I was rewatching it as how much he looked like yeah. uh, Malcolm like in his Clockwork Orange years. yeah Clockwork Orange era yeah. George, you just wiped away my two games we were going to play, <laughs> which was a movie based on on this, this story, multiple choice, and then cast this doc. <laughs> Whoops. Well, they already made a movie based on it, and I don't think that's great casting. Uh, did you have an idea for the casting? Uh, uh, not yet. I was going to think of as we went through. <laughs> Malcolm McDonald's awesome, though. That is a great idea. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just it, he, he would have had to do it 30 years ago. Right, so, right. Yeah. No, that's how this game works, though. When we play oh, this okay, game, it's good. Like anyone from any time period of actual acting. I know? mean, it sounds to me like we just won the game. You know, I think we, we didn't did. ruin it. We just, like, won. <laughs> we won right it without you even asking the question. That's how good it was. <laughs> I just like to get the song out there. That's that's my. <laughs> But you're—I mean—the the idea of this as a bank heist, a thriller, a, like it's—it does have a Guy Ritchie feel to it. Like the let's talk about the style of this doc for a second. Like it's very—it's so slickly made. James Marsh is such a great director, you know. What else um, has he, he done? What else has he done? The, the, are there things I would have seen? Do you know? Well, uh, Wisconsin Death Trip. Did you ever see that? Uh-uh. Or, yeah, that's is that really about the, the Charles Starkweather Fugit uh, murders. What is what is Wisconsin Death Trip? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. It's a documentary about that. He also did a doc called The King, I think, um, which I haven't seen. But he's a very slick documentary filmmaker. Like, and this one, this is one why I think this doc resonates so much with people. It's so well made. There's and there's there's uh, mm-hmm. reenactments yeah. and actual footage and maybe even CGI stuff. It's hard to even tell at some point. Yeah. There's a very brooding overtone to it. It's very dark. You almost, there's, there's very few points in the movie where you ever see sunshine. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, it's extremely, it's almost like a lot of it is in black and white, um, because like, and they use the old footage in black and white, but keep the new footage, like Mm -hmm. the new reenactment footage in black and white as well. So it has this very, this dark feel to it. It's very ominous the Mm -hmm. entire time. Um, which keeps you so engaged. It's ever they they always make it like it's so imperative that this man do this, and you all you can feel is like this is so trivial. This doesn't matter. But man, I want this guy to be able to do this. You know, yeah. like you because he he really allows you to become so invested in this guy's overall silly dream. You yeah. know, this does not benefit anyone in the end in any way except for this person like, they can say, that's, like true. Comedy. that's like comedy yeah you can say like, oh, but the people on the street they watched it and they all were amazed it's like yeah, yeah. and then they went back to work and went yeah i saw this fucking guy on a wire fucking douchebag like, i don't know what he was doing yeah <laughs> causing that's traffic odd. that's what he was doing yeah in new york that's all they'd say like hey we're trying to walk down here <laughs> don't make us look at you I don't want no French uh, French body parts flying all over me. Freedom body parts. Uh, Freedom body parts. I like that. I mean, I, I, yeah, I think the film, like, actually, I was going to say the score is really good. I really oh, like man. the score. Yes. Uh, which I thought was, like, some old, like, you know, uh, Eric Satie piano piece or something. But it was all written for the film, I think. Yeah, but the yeah, score is amazing. The reenactments also that kind of took me by surprise in the beginning because then they blended in, like, him on a unicycle, which I think was real. 
with yeah. Yeah. yeah, very much yeah. so. I mean, the guy, he clearly, he's such a talented, like, clown kind of figure. I mean, he, you know, Absolutely. there's times he's juggling bowling pins while walking on the wire and stuff like that. The amount of skills that he has where he can literally just go into the state of flow and just be yeah. and do these amazing tricks is truly incredible. Well, I know the guy started in magic, and he also was, he stole a watch off a cop who yeah, was yeah. being arrested. He had this whole thing about picking locks. I think like yeah he's he he clearly like was just like school is not for me I'm gonna like learn from the school of life That's he, he's yeah, almost yeah. like a non-malicious criminal like <laughs> he just he, everything he wants to do is technically illegal but in a completely harmless way like mm -hmm. it's not act, no one's being hurt in any right. no one's being hurt no one's really even being affected right. by his actions it's whimsy it's like whimsical crime yes basically it's just like it's just like Finding where the laws don't make sense and then trying yeah. to insert yourself in there, basically. Well, I think I think he was officially arrested for disturbing the peace in New York. I think that's <laughs> yeah. what they... Right, causing a scene or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Which is not much. I mean, I disturb the peace pretty much every day, and so it's not a big <laughs> deal, you know? Yeah. Um, one of my... I mean, and he's so, he's so goddamn French. It's so awesome. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because he's like a little puck character, you know? He's the kind of guy when, if you had a house party and he showed up, you'd just be like, fuck, hide the valuables and your girlfriends because this guy's going to break all of those things. <laughs> Here I am, young, 17 years old, with a bad tooth in one of those uncolorful uh, waiting room of a French dentist, and uh, it's it's really lit with a little 40-watt bulb, and you have all ladies and people, you know, sheepishly looking at magazines, it's quiet, and suddenly I freeze because I have opened a newspaper at a page and I see something magnificent, something that inspires me. I see two towers. And the article says one day those towers will be built. They're not even there yet. And when they are, they will become the highest in the world. Now I need to have that, this little tangible uh, start of my dream. But everybody is watching, and, but I need that page. And so what I do is under the cover of this, ah, I tear the page, put it under my jacket, and go out. Now, of course, I would have a toothache for a week, but what's the pain in comparison that now I have acquired my dream? Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. That's an interesting point too of this doc when he goes to Notre Dame for the first time. Like it's his first like real attempt at at trying to do something this public. Yeah, definitely. And they almost seem like like they almost seem like they're okay with it because they show that shot of like I mean I know it's reenacted, but they talk about like the the priests I guess being below mm -hmm. and then just being like oh there's a wire walker up there. Well, isn't that lovely? What a great <laughs> thing for that man to be doing. Yeah. Call the cops. Yeah. But Is let's go watch. Quasimodo? Is he? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dangling from the bells. Yeah. Yeah, they seem to be pretty cool with it. I, I didn't expect that reaction uh, when she's telling that story either. I figured they'd just be like, sacre bleu, like, get yeah. him off there. That's all I ever hear French people you saying. You know how chill Catholics are? You know? yeah. yeah, super chill. Um, 
Yeah, it's uh, and then then he uh, goes to Australia, like you guys were saying earlier. He goes to Australia, uh, the Sydney Harbour Bridge, and um, when he then he first meets the Australian that we are introduced yeah. to in the doc, and that's another favorite part of mine in this documentary is the uh, the, the nickname, the AKA yeah. everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, the reservoir dogging of these people. Yeah, yeah, and it, it made me wonder if it was. Because Philippe never really knew anyone's names is why it was like David, a.k.a. Donald. Yeah, he, he just got it wrong all the time, so they just went with it. They were like, yeah, you know what? It's better I'll just be Donald from now on. Right? Yeah. Doesn't then, he seem like that kind of guy? Yeah, because there was also – wasn't it like it was Albert, but they – or yeah. it, was, it was all Alan, all but his off. name was actually yeah. Alan, but he just went by Albert. Like it was close, yeah. but not yeah. right. Yeah. That's how I feel like Philippe, that kind of guy is where you'd be like, hey, Poncho. And you're like, it's Paco, whatever. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> you're just yeah. never going to get it. I mean, we do that cool. in comedy all the time, right? I mean, I'm just yeah. like, hey, you. Yeah. We met 30 <laughs> times and I still don't know your name. I'm not going to tell you that, though. I get a weird thing where people are like, your name's Greg, right? I'm like, well, that phonetically is not right. But it's like you read my name and then you <laughs> reinterpreted the letters. It's, yeah. it's not quite off. Yeah. I can't. Greg doesn't work for you. I don't no. know. No, you're not work. a Greg. Yeah. I'm barely a George as it is. I think I think you're a pretty great George. Oh, thanks. By George, great... I think you've got it. Sorry about there that. There you go. No, that's fine. I apologize. For no, no, that I grew up with all the George jokes. Uh, There's I know. I'm just, I, I just I, I always many. have to add, and I never. I'm always never thrilled about what I do. Yeah, fucking Alex. <laughs> you know, like I guess I guess Black Clover Orange is a joke for you. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I'll take it. Yeah. Um, and then so uh, then we get to the like uh, when like the. Petit uh, putting all the uh, work together to get to the Twin Towers, oh, which yeah. is, makes up like the most of this stuff. And I was surprised. It seemed like he'd be the kind of cat that would just be like, let's get to the top. Let's rope this up. Let's just do this thing. I was a little surprised by the, all of the work that went into yeah. it. Yeah, I guess. I mean, the actual the rigging is something that is has to be so perfect without any error whatsoever. Mm-hmm. There cannot be any uh chance that you take like it needs to be done correctly one time then Mm -hmm. that's the one time you're gonna do it and so i i mean i don't know how many times they actually broke into the tower but it seemed like hundreds possibly like over the years months of recon yeah yeah and and the fact is they had to do it before it was officially like like really open and finished and all that. Like that was the only way they were going to do it. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's just, it's just incredible. The amount of planning and work that went into allowing this guy to do this. Uh, And I just, I wish I knew more about his cohorts and the people that were with him to be like, why were you willing to throw away whatever was going on in your life to help this man achieve this fickle dream of his? Like, what? What it was the seventies, baby? I guess. Yeah. So, right? didn't, didn't one guy who worked in the building, the curly mustache guy, you remember that guy? Yeah, and yeah. He had seen him in Paris do some of his street juggling, so he recognized him right away in the building, and that's like I think why he was on board. Yeah, uh, yeah, and I think uh, yeah, that's the only thing I can think of. There was one other, one or two other people that worked in the building that could help him get passes and things like that, and then you had to like. 
without a professional without a Kinko's make a fake ID in like 1973 yeah. or whatever. It's it's about about a week ago I randomly watched there's this uh on Apple TV there's this one channel called Red Bull TV and I watch <laughs> every once in a while I turn it on because I just I love extreme sports kind of stuff and I watch and see what's going on and I watched this whole one it was called about urban exploration which is essentially getting into places that the oh, typical people okay. are not supposed to go and they have to climb to the top of bridges and stuff like that to get there. And so much of it was about having the the man on the inside, it was needing mm-hmm. these people that worked in the building or on the, for the construction company or whatever mm-hmm. to allow you the access. And so much of you committing this crime is based on other people committing a crime with you just to facilitate you being there and being able to do it. Well, that reminds me, I was going to bring up that you run a show that's essentially like a rave comedy show. Yeah. Do you have a lot of background in raves? Because that was the whole infrastructure of raves was like, before, like, you had to, like, call weird phone numbers. See, that was before my time. Oh, like, I never had to, like, okay, you call a phone number, then you mm-hmm. go to this street corner to get where your guy's going to give you a map that mm-hmm. has these other cryptic constructions. I never got to play that game mm-hmm. as as a partier, which I wish I had, <laughs> because it seems so fun. That seems like uh, half of it, really, yeah. Yeah, it's part, of, it's part of, like, I used to tell people, like, we used to not tell people where Crave was while it was still underground. We'd be like, look, we'll send you an email the day before if you bought tickets. Then we'll tell you where it is. And people will be like, why can't you just tell me where it is? And I'm just like, it's part of the fun. Yeah. Just it's treasure hunting. Yeah, exactly. Just understand. I'm not even going to make you hunt. I'm going to tell you the address, just <laughs> not till the day before. Like, but some people be like, fuck that. I'm not going through this. And I'd be like, okay, then it's not for you. Yeah. You know? Right. It's the I, personality types of like the rule followers and the people that are just like, why rules? And I feel like you're a why rules person. Like, yes. why do rules exist? I, I, I mean, I understand why rules exist but if you're not hurting anybody mm-hmm. then you, and you like then i i think it's okay to skirt around the mm-hmm. rules a little bit for sure and you're a burning man person or are you i've i'm actually I've, i'm going for the first time this year time. i've been leading myself up to it for many years i'm i'm one of those people that could people are always like what i thought you were like born there dude i thought, <laughs> you, know, like, I thought you i thought that was your residence like and uh no like i've it's something i've been very interested in for a long time i'm friends with a ton of burners but being in the desert for a week like that mm. is something that mm. i've had to build myself up to mm-hmm. it's a very intense experience and is, it can't be taken lightly is there a crossover between like a slackliner community or are you part of a slackliner community um not i mean my friends and i we uh-huh. like we like kind of like have our own little name for us we call ourselves the ball slacks because we're stupid <laughs> um you know but well, i'm not really part of a slacklining community it's kind of like i just really use that as my own like as my own form of exercise mm-hmm. and meditation um but it probably cross crossed over into like clown world which i feel definitely. like definitely over into burner world at least on the west yeah there's there's a lot of uh you know it's definitely part of it is the reason i started doing is because i was at a music festival Uh and i one was set up and i try and i couldn't get off of it like for three (laughs) hours i just i was so committed to learning how to do it um and so i think that was part of it and i definitely there's a lot of stuff like in the burner world of this kind of cirque like you know silk dancers and stuff like that that kind of fall right in with it and i like being a weirdo i like doing things that are just people are like what that's so crazy that you do that like i i i do like a part of my brain like really enjoys when people see me up there and are like this is incredible like you know because it makes me feel just more like it it builds me up my confidence up even more Mm -hmm. and i think my confidence over the past year has increased so much and uh, because Mm -hmm. i I, like 
uh, 10 months ago, I couldn't even stand on a slack line. And now I've had times I've been up there. My record's an hour and 45 minutes on a continuous walk of just staying up there. And the progression I've had in a year has just made me feel so good about myself. Yeah. Just like competency wow. in one area of like physicality can end up being competency and like uh, your psychological state and you're like, yeah, spiritual kind of state. It does something to you in the same way it, after you do a, after you do a set when, when a bunch of people walk up and like, dude, that was you were so funny, that was incredible. You have this moment of like, oh, I'm doing this, like I did it. It feels really good, and it's the same thing on a Slack line of people just saying like, how are you doing that? And I'm like, <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. This is like a difficult thing that I've learned. So you're saying people come up to you after a set until you did well. Sometimes it's I pretty don't, rare. I cannot relate. I can't <laughs> no. relate to that at all. I yeah. I've never had that. No, more more often than not, it's like, dude, what uh, what happened up there? <laughs> what did you think you were doing? Because I don't think we got it. That's hilarious. I think it's I think it's awesome too that like there's sometimes you watch docs where for some reason the uh, subject matter decided to start filming his or her life at like five. Yeah, and and then years later they do something amazing, and then they can go back and use all this footage, and you're like, how did they have fucking footage of this? And the f the fact that he was of the mind to start taking photographs and like filming stuff, mm -hmm. you know, back before he even did any of this stuff is pretty amazing. I say European Arts Grant. I think that's probably yeah, that's, what it was. that's definitely what it was. They knew they knew what was coming. <laughs> they might have had yeah. like I mean because it was pretty good quality footage of just the training scenes and stuff like that. Yeah, there were some things that he was doing that like I, I, I think about that a lot about how I wish there's not there's no footage of like early craves really or anything. There's photos mm -hmm. of everything, but we don't have like footage to show like if one day you know mm -hmm. I get the show where I want it to be like its own festival or something like that I would love to be able to show like well this is where we started mm -hmm. and like these little warehouses now we're here but I never I'm not the one who I, yeah. I just perform I'm not the one to like capture moments you know I just live in them mm -hmm. and then let other hope other people are capturing it for me mm -hmm. but well there's producers and there's performers yeah, you know? very yeah. much so. Let the producers take care of that stuff. What? Do, so I'm not all that familiar with your show, to be honest. Can you describe what your show is all about? Yeah, Crave. We've been doing it for over five years, and it literally started as like uh, I was calling it Crave the Comedy Rave, um, <laughs> and that kind of basically because I love comedy and I love dance parties, and I just so I wanted to combine the two, and I had these great like Burning Man esque spaces where I had met people throwing other parties, and I wanted to throw shows there and what it evolved into after a few months of doing it was us telling these stories and scripting uh, and doing and scripting themes around the stand-up comedians so we would come up with a story and I would play a character and I'd bring other friends into it and we would tell we tell a story throughout the stand-up comedy um, all around it every interstitial is not us going wasn't that great well this next performer you've seen it's us telling more story so more is revealed each time until eventually you uh, have told an entire story. The comedy part's over, and then we just party. We have like we've had uh, you know we have DJs. We used to have like fire spinners, and we've had like Cirque people and live painters, and anything we can kind of bring in to break you out of whatever reality you're used to being in. That's kind of our goal the whole time. Is like we want you to come into an immersive world of just pure fun and entertainment. And we've been awesome. doing that for over five years. If you want to learn more, go to cravecomedy.com. And there you go. And check it out. And, and those are that's all in L.A. Yeah, we've done it. We've done a couple. We've done some festivals like we've done. Uh, we're going back to this festival called Desert Hearts at the end of April. Um, that's based out of San Diego. But they're a crew that like throws festivals and are 
really uh, just great people. So we're doing, we do like some small festivals and stuff like that too. But for the most part, it's based in LA. Right. Interesting. Awesome. That sounds like fun. It sounds like, fun. I, don't, I don't think I've ever seen a, a comedy show like that. I've seen, you know, weird variations on just the standard stand up, you know, one 15 comic death march to the sea kind of thing. Oh, yeah. But <laughs> I've never seen like a story built around it. That's a that's a cool idea. That's, yeah, it's a lot. It's, it's so it's so much work every show, which is why we only do it every couple of months. But it's always so worth it because that's where I truly get to be whatever I want to be. It's like, want to see what's happening in my brain? Here's the answer. <laughs> Come to grave. Yeah. When you do the sketches, are the comics involved in the sketches? No, they have no, they have no idea what no, you're about to do for the transitions. No, and I don't tell them anything <laughs> either awesome. because I don't want the comics to have to learn anything or alter no, their set. Right, I just right. want them to show up and do whatever they wanted to do. <laughs> and then sometimes, you know, it's you know they can riff off it if they want to because mm -hmm. I'm always doing something weird, character based, and they can or they can just not pay attention to it at all. Mm -hmm. But some comics will go with the theme. Like we did one, it was called Crave on a Plane. And of <laughs> course the comics, like Sean Patton went up first, he's like, oh, um, we're on a plane? Don't worry, I'm a comedian. I have all the plane material. So <laughs> this is all I'm gonna do right now. You know. So sometimes yeah. it just works in their favor. Nice. That's awesome. Well, speaking of doing characters, this is going to be an interesting segue. But um, uh, Philippe, one, again, one of my favorite moments was the is the crutches moment. Oh, um, yes. Yes. He steps on a <laughs> nail. He could have gotten uh, tetanus, tetanus or something. Yeah. I'm surprised he didn't. But then he's like learns that like, hey, if you're on fucking crutches, people are cool to you. Yeah. You know, very they, much they'll so. let you. They'll let you in without having to show your badges. They'll hold the door for you. They'll ask if you need a seat. Yeah. And, I think that's uh, part of his clown background, though. Is like a mm. part of it being a clown is kind of just like is is that moment of illusion of just fooling people into seeing something different, like the magician aspect mm -hmm. of like you're looking at this thing because really I'm doing this other thing yeah. that I don't want you to look at. Yes. And I think that was part of his genius of like of doing the character of doing the crutches is like no one was is yeah everyone will just take care of me because they'll feel bad for me mm -hmm. and they won't yeah. think about that i'm actually trying to do this elaborate scheme mm -hmm. it had a little bit of like usual suspects feel to it <laughs> very <laughs> much so yeah, yeah very, <laughs> you know, very he's... kaiser so said yeah when they're like uh kaiser so they whimsy yeah <laughs> right he is extremely whims whimsical this fucking guy yeah um, i mean you can't you can't not be if that's your only thing you ever want to do is just be floating on a wire like above like i you know the amount of trust that he had with his girlfriend as well like when they show that shot of him holding on a piggyback ride walking across the wire yeah. granted it's like 25 feet up mm -hmm. but that's insanity like the trust between the two of them and the trust of himself to be able to do that with another person on your back mm -hmm. is absolutely maniacal to me like that was <laughs> that was insane um yeah and, and I, yeah yeah i i I mean, I completely agree. I mean, uh, there's no. I mean, I I couldn't even get up a ladder that high, let alone get on a fucking line and have someone on my back. Yeah, she's such an she's such an interesting character in the story she because is. she like the way she talks about it. She's so enthralled with him as a person and what he's doing. Mm -hmm. But she even says at one point like there was no room for my dreams. Mm -hmm. It was all to just to for him to get where he needed to be, and mm -hmm. I was on the back burner always mm -hmm. like yeah. but, she, but but seemingly they're so in love that she's okay just throwing away anything she ever wanted to do or, to allow him to have his dream or being in love with a guy who's who you think is 
suicidal in a weird way. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. like just being like, I'm, I, I love him, but he's about to do something that we all know has a chance of him just fucking eating it. Yeah, the yeah. way she talks about him even after the fact of just like of just how beautiful it was to watch him up there. Um, you know, that moment where my heart stood still and I just watched him. And then and what's really crazy though is like because you don't understand that they're not still together throughout the documentary. Mm-hmm. And then there's just this moment where after he does the walk when they're like, and that's when I knew I would never see him again. And part of me went, Wait, what? <laughs> yeah. What do you yeah. mean? What do you why could you never – it seems to me that finally you can actually be together. Like mm-hmm. finally his dream is like it, he can look more towards you and he did the thing that he wanted to do for the last mm-hmm. few years. And instead it was – and then I walked off into the sunset and yeah. – parted ways, yeah. I didn't – yeah, I wish – again, like I know there can't be more explanation because part of it is just that mystery. Mm-hmm. But I was so – curious as to why all of a sudden he did it and it was like there we can't be together anymore it sort of implied like firstly he does hook up with a groupie immediately after getting out of jail yeah i think but which is but they're european so i don't think that's necessarily the deal breaker like i think from an american morality perspective you're like well then she must have just like been pissed i'm like well they're they're both french it's like not quite the same morality of the 1970s that you would apply, you know. Right. But this I think is true. she was saying, like, he was just entering a different phase of his life. And I guess she was just like, and we just were like, yeah, we're just kind of done. He's doing, he's famous now. It's going to be different. And I guess that's the thing I think anyone who's been in a relationship and try to achieve this sort of esoteric uh, expertise on something, I think the relationship always suffers, right? Yeah, I mean, it's really difficult. Like, my girlfriend and I have been together like 10 years, and she um, doesn't, she's not a huge comedy fan, um, admittedly. Like, there's certain, she, there's certain things she likes, but for the most part, she's not a huge comedy fan, and I, and it came up recently, I was like, how are we together? And she was like, because you weren't a comedian when we met. And I was like, oh, but you've been, <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. but she doesn't mind because for, for her, while a lot of relationships truly suffer because of stand-up comedy, because like, hey, look, I got to be out every night. That's the way it is. For her, she likes that I we have all this time apart because it allows our time together to be more special. And we mm-hmm. don't need to be with each other every single night or even two or three nights a week. Usually we get one or we get usually one solid night a week when it's like, Hey, we're here mm-hmm. together. We have nothing, you know, I have no comedy, nothing comedy related. And for me, it's actually like helped mm-hmm. all that. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of comedy widows in the world of comedy. You oh, know? for sure. Definitely. Uh, men and female alike. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just kind of what happens. And I feel like there's a spell. Uh, this guy seems like one of those like magical little characters you hear about in Shakespeare or Stephen King books where he just has this spell about him. I think this doc could have been called Spellbound if that hadn't already been a documentary. As a child, have you ever played hide and seek in a park and take refuge behind a giant uh, tree trunk? And a policeman comes to the roof and then your companion comes circle the trunk he walks you walk he stops you stop the man start turning around this obstacle in the center of my tower and i turn around on the side diametrically opposed this little pas de deux could go on forever until one of you turn around and bump into the each other well this is exactly what happened he turns i turn he stops i stops he go on i go on now of course if he would have turned around oops hide and seek 
he's not really a hippie in the traditional sense of like hippies or anything like that, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think he's like part of like a countercultural thing. It even goes further back to like this, like you know, like circusy kind of thing. It's not even, yeah. Like, even though they're culturally, I guess they were a little bit young for the hippie thing. Maybe if they were like he's like twenty five in nineteen seventy four. I guess it's like he would have been about like 18 when all that stuff was going down. Yeah. But he's like rural and French and has mm-hmm. a more of like this pastoral feel to him than mm-hmm. like a like a SF New York Chicago hippie type. Right. You know? Or like the French of that generation, I think like they got really politicized in in like 1968 and stuff. And like he's just like, I'm being whimsical. I'm you know, like going to climb up a rope. <laughs> so it's like not like that sort of like super political thing at all yeah it's a really beautiful thing just to like even like where most of us just see like well like why would you dedicate your life to that like why like there's got to be better things that's it's what he wanted and he did everything he could to get it and there's something about that that no matter what you do is extremely endearing Mm -hmm. even if you're looking at it going but he's just walking it doesn't help it doesn't matter he it, it in his his brain was saying this is what you need and he went through such a difficult series of tasks to be able to achieve it and yeah. you know that's that's truly beautiful that is i mean that's what makes this doc one of the one of the greats i mean at least in the last 15 years it's like one of the i think one of the maybe top in the top 10 top 20 docs is that it has pretty much everything i mean including you know the, the people that helped him out now being talking about it years 30, 40 years later, just crying mm-hmm. yeah. because he pulled it off, you yeah. know, like it's still a beautiful thing and so weird and different and individualistic and kind of, kind of like ego. I mean, not kind of, but extremely ego driven. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes. very. However, much so. he had these people on his bandwagon that wanted to help him out. I mean, that's, it's a beautiful story. Um, yeah. And I don't know, let me ask you, would you think it could work today? Like, do I think he could get away with doing something like that today? It would be so much more difficult. I mean, if you think about the amount of cameras that are just everywhere right now um, and the uh, amount of security, especially, you know, obviously those towers are not there anymore. But like even after nine after nine eleven, like everything of you of you making a fake employee badge yeah. to go into yeah. a building. I mean, just that, if you're caught, they're going to be like, what are you doing? You're carrying all of this weird stuff yeah. into a building. <laughs> like, I would have thought that he was going to bomb that. I think that's what's interesting about this film, if you don't know, and this is my first time watching, actually, is that whole heist element. The first, like, eight minutes or so, you can think that they're, like, are they the better Meinhof group? Are they, like, actually going to, like do a bomb or what are they doing? Like they're just sneaking in this building. If you don't know the whole context, you know? Yeah. I think that's why I think, I think more so often today people go out and do this over canyons and things like that. We're out in nature where they're not going to get in as much trouble, but even still, I mean, I have some documentaries on like in Yosemite where, you know, people are not allowed to base jump or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And people still are getting away with that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You just accept I'm going to land and I'm going to be arrested, but I got to do my thing. I guess right. the same as someone who's going to, cross like at a concert you go from the pit and try to get on stage They're like i know i'm gonna get kicked out but i'm just gonna try to get on stage yeah right, like, <laughs> right kind of yeah. same thing actually there was a guy who there's some kid who i think was like only 18 or 20 who climbed like the the world trade center that they're rebuilding and he got pretty high up and just like was hanging with one arm and like documenting on youtube and then there's that weird that weird kid who 
decided to try to start climbing up Trump Tower. Do you remember that? Oh yeah, in like 2016. And it was like I was like kind of like this is kind of awesome because I think you even saw Trump down in the lobby just like staring up like what what's going on. And but then it turned out that he was a pro Trumper who was climbing the tower. I'm just like I just am down for whatever. This, oh no, of course that's what it was. Of course yeah. he's like a maga. He's a maga climber. I just want to be as high as I can on Trump. Uh, <laughs> that's a get high climb. on Trump. Like, I just want to talk to you about some of my thoughts about immigration as I'm climbing <laughs> this tower. The wall is such a good idea. But also like this movie came out in 2007, so it's made after 9/11. So it's like you can't help but. I couldn't help but kind of think about that aspect of like pretty lax security in 1972. Right. Yeah. yeah. They just I was thinking ahead. about that. I was going to say, they just weren't, they, why would they ever consider that that would be happening? Oh yeah. Well, they wouldn't have known like 30, 40 years in the past. Yeah. But I'm, I'm glad that there, there wasn't like that. The moment halfway through the dock where they show the towers coming down and st- I'm glad he just kind of jumped all of that there's so many documentaries about that if you want to watch that and they're all on youtube yeah yes. there's, just, there's just no reason because it just it would have taken away from the story they were telling right, right. it's we don't this isn't about being sad right now and remembering these mm-hmm. ta- like that's not this is a, this is a story of just triumph and, and right. you know it's like the anti-ultimate or whatever if you want to think about like sort of like <laughs> like yeah it's like it's like it's it's like you can't yeah like i guess recontextualizing it in like the fact that like everything now when you mention anything about the World Trade Center post 2001 is going to have this weird you know dark tinge to it and this is just like remember how cool the 70s were when you could just like have crutches and a mustache and like a hard <laughs> hat in and do whatever the fuck you wanted in New York so maybe this is like yeah. that part of it yeah including yeah. dressing up as a fake journalist uh, oh, yeah. journalist and, and- <laughs> Convincing the guy is like, yeah, you know, we're doing a story in France before the internet. Like, you don't know what the Mondo magazine of France is, or no, like of course not. Yeah. And you're not gonna, you're just like, you see a badge, you're like, all right, fine, I don't care. Go I up think there. that's part of it too. Yeah, like when you're saying, could you get away with this now? It would have to be a totally different type of thing. It just couldn't be like this. I think they're very lucky that all he wanted to do was rig a wire and walk on it. Like, Clearly, he, yeah. he very easily could have brought mm-hmm. those towers down as soon as they were built, based on yeah. like what he did to get in there. Yeah, just crank those wires together and, like, just get them to bend together and meet. That would have been another crazy move. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't think about that. Like, yeah, if he did have malicious intent, it would have been pretty fucking easy, you know? Yeah, I mean, he would have gotten because I mean, he wouldn't have had to go up there hundreds of times. He could have gotten up there once or twice and be like, there, now I got this ton of equipment up here. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the fact that, like, he ended up getting off with just having to do a juggling show for kids, like, after doing some jail time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, and then, like, he's just, like, balancing a police officer's hat on his I nose know. while he's, like, <laughs> while he's in, in, in the holding cell or whatever. That was that's a great New, shot. That's New York City in the 70s, where, like, mm-hmm. all you did was fucking break into the World Trade Center a hundred times and walk across it on a tightrope. Like, you didn't fucking... I am charming. Su- <laughs> yeah. I'm French yeah. and charming. You have this like <laughs> exasperated fucking judge in Midtown Manhattan who's seen it all, and he's like, "Fuck, I don't j- juggle for some fucking kids. Get out of here." Also, just <laughs> imagine how much that guy would have dominated prison if he had gotten a harsh sentence, and he's just like this tiny French magician in prison. He's oh, like, yeah. "We're going to be organizing a breakout," and like, "Like, hey, cigarettes." He packed a bunch of cigarettes. Wait a minute. What anus. happened? I went to rape you, and now you're. Raping me? <laughs> How did this even happen? <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, oh my god. Yeah. Let's sorry, write it. I took it there. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I could see this happening on I mean that sounds like a good what would you name that TV show? Man, uh well, The Wizard of Oz. The oh. Wizard. <laughs> there you go. That's good. That was I'm not even gonna try because wow. wow, how perfect was that? That was wow. pretty perfect. I just like Quick, you know, we should just write a fucking pilot. It's like it's like a Russian mafia thing. It's like fucking history of violence, but it's a guy like a little like Warren Ellis kind of like a no man who just like I was a magician in Russia and I joined the mob and then like his whole thing is that he's a a, a criminal magician. That's yeah. the opposite of the stupid Catch Me If You Can movies. No, yeah, right. no, I like that. Yeah, why not? You use your skills for evil. I mean, those Catch Me If You Can movies are kind of garbage as well. They're kind of like more like the they try to do the Ocean's Eleven type thing in reverse. Like we're gonna do the trick and then we'll explain it to you later. You know? So, right? Yeah. 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 Fuck that. Um, <laughs> well. If we can be so magic, fuck it. I have such a fear of heights. I was going to say that. Did you guys feel that in this at all? I guess you have like you're off the ground like a little. I'm I'm only a few feet off the ground, so my fear of heights. The fear with slacklining with me is more so when I lose my balance and the rope snaps back Mm -hmm. because you get. I mean, we've all. I have. I've had welts all over my body and stuff like that from it just snapping because you don't only fall down; the rope snaps up, so like you get double hit. Do you get the ball? Ever get? You're landing on your balls. You know I have. <laughs> That's just part of learning. The slack balls. The yeah. Slack ballers. You're, you're going to get it. You're definitely going to get yeah. bit. Uh, that's what we say. It's going to bite you. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's you know, I, I do have some fear of heights, but not too bad. Like I'm pretty I'm pretty good with it. Like yeah. for the most part, like th- this movie, like there's so many times I just tensed up. I know mean, I know he lives clearly because he's narrating this. Right. But I just tensed up so much. Just like looking, so much just being on the edge. Oh, man. There's a part of those people that they're they, you know, like he says it. There's one point where he goes, but what if a, what a beautiful death? If yeah, I fell, true, yeah. what a beautiful death. There's nothing in his brain that's going like, you could die, you could die, you could die. Like he's like, yeah, of course. But that wouldn't that be amazing to just so fall God thousands damn. of feet? That's so European too. I, I know I it know. is. I feel like it's that. So f- yeah. Like just like the American versus like European just take on this entire thing. I realize how American I am watching this and just like, yeah, though there are rules and you're not supposed to do these things. And just, right. yeah, even thinking about like, yeah, like any kind of like like I, I really am just like uptight about this stuff yeah. i don't know like mm-hmm. you, even like like the way you can kind of like be like just follow your bliss i still have like this thing like i gotta have a safety net like it's, of my brain of like society and like in his security. mind it's like it's like yes i could die quietly uh or i could splatter and what is the better story? Oh. And if I splatter tremendously, then right. people will talk about this forever. Like you know? a terrorist. Exactly like a terrorist. <laughs> he's yeah. like a terrorist of whimsy. He's, he's like a whimsicist. He's going to get 72 French magicians when he dies. <laughs> yeah. So. yeah. Like, oh, we'll be showing each other the tricks. Yeah. What's the theme of this, Doc? What do you guys think the theme is? Like, if you were to, if hmm. someone, like, what? what's the theme? Is it follow your bliss? Is it... Persistence like is definitely a major factor, I think, um, and and just allowing um, allowing your dreams to become reality. I think is a big part of it is going after the things you want and dedication. But it's also it. Sometimes I kept thinking like, but what expense is this coming? Because all most of the people talk about it that are around him talk about yeah. how wonderful it was to be a part of. 
But I feel like we don't talk like, to that guy anymore. Yeah, <laughs> I just I feel like there. You know, there was one guy who was like, I can't be a part of this. Like, mm. who he got? He was like, no. You know yeah. what? This is insane. An American. I think he got out right away. Yeah, he's like, no, 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 I'm not gonna yeah. do it. But I think you know. But yeah, I think following your dreams is definitely a big part of it, and just breaking and showing showing the world. Uh, that things can be done, you know, that amazing things can be done if you just put your mind to it and believe in yourself. Right. Awesome. Well, speaking of which, uh, let's talk about your album. Yeah, let's do it. Let's t- hugs, drugs, pugs. You nailed it. I know. I, I made it specifically difficult for the order to be said. <laughs> I've had wait, so many people mess it up. Uh <laughs> But yeah, it's called Hugs, Drugs, Pugs. It is available now on wherever you listen to music or comedy, iTunes, Pandora, Spotify, Amazon, uh, wherever. But Hugs, Drugs, Pugs are the three things that have expanded my heart and my mind the most over the years. They have come into my life in different ways and filled me with love and admiration uh, for humanity, animals, and basically the entire planet. And when I was coming up with a name for my album, I was thinking about what a lot of the jokes I tell and looking over like the hour. And I realized like those were just recurring themes in my life that make me the person I am. People obviously associate me with like those things like pugs and drugs a lot. Uh, I throw on a show called Crave. I have pugs. I made a calendar called Pug Yoga. Like people see me as these things. So I'm just leaning into it as hard as I fucking can. Uh, I'm not trying to fight people like you're the pug guy. Yes, I am. Like, I'm not going to fight you on that. Like, yeah. I'm not going to I'm not going to fight you because you just called me the pug guy, which is the sweetest thing to ever call somebody. Yeah, I get tagged every day in multiple videos of people that saw something with pugs on the Internet and tag me in it. Like and, you know, at first, sometimes I just want to be like, guys, stop. It's enough. I, but other times I'm like, no, it's so sweet that people see something and immediately go Alex Hooper. Yeah. Like that's mm-hmm. that's it's a very kind thing. You, know, you never fucked with Uggs, did you? <laughs> I, I have a pair of Uggs. I think uh, you missed an opportunity. This is going to be the next album. I, I know. Like, I could have had Thugs in there. I could have had yeah. Bugs. Like, yeah. Really? I'll come up. Next one will be Thugs, Bugs, Uggs. <laughs> Start writing that hour now. Yeah. But yeah, I was That's so happy. All. I was so happy to get it down. And a special Where'd you record thing. that one? Yeah. I recorded Meltdown okay, uh, okay. through a special thing records. Mm-hmm. And they were so cool to take me on and let me do this the way I wanted to. And, uh, Man, it just feels so good to just like I feel like the legitimacy of having an album out um, that I can like people have come up to me after shows in the last week and like, hey, we're going to hear more of your stuff. And it feels so good to be like, album, like type me in, type my name into wherever you listen. And there it is. So um, it's really it's a big milestone in my comedy career. Yeah, that's awesome. man. Congratulations. Thank you, guys. Yeah. And actually, it seems like. you because you do it seems like you need to do a video thing with crave it sounds like that needs to happen we've been making more of it we've done we've done we've gotten better with that Mm -hmm. like we've had we filmed a few of them and stuff like that and Mm -hmm. so we're starting to get better at it it's just my brain never thinks like never thinks like the future like you're gonna you're gonna want this stuff Mm -hmm. it's always i'm so about living in the present and being be here now kind of stuff Mm -hmm. that i don't ever think like you know in 10 years people are gonna want to see your origin story and that's probably helped a lot actually probably like just having that not I mean, I'm sure you have goals, but like having that the very present mind has to help with like not 
being overwhelmed by like desire for goals. Yeah, I'm really sometimes I look at other people that are like, I need to like I need to write a pilot so in two years it will go to series and then I can have and I don't my brain doesn't like do that mm-hmm. very well. I just go I just kinda like wherever my the world and my and my brain and my path take mm-hmm. me, I just kinda like, you know what, I'll just go with that until it doesn't work anymore and then I'll pivot again and shift into something else. And so far, I mean it's it's taken me to some very odd places that I didn't expect to go, but um, I'm just I'm having so much fun and enjoying um, the process of allowing of allowing these weird things to come out. Yeah, like actually, I was gonna say congrats on uh, your appearance on Corporate. I thought, oh, thank I was you like, very much. That was like a bunch of people I knew in a, in a series, like you and Kyle Mazzono and like Deborah G. Giovanni. Like, yeah, Greg and Edwards. Greg Edwards asking for drugs. Like, hey, you got drugs? Yeah, <laughs> that was. I, my, I literally had a line in that show. I'm a drug addict. I mean, that show is sort of like <laughs> gonna be looked back on as like this sort of like peak. L.A. alternative comedy sort of like moment, I guess. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. I mean, I or even just there. in New York and L.A. people. Involved. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was so cool. I was there on day one and two of filming. Mm-hmm. So I was there on the very first t- couple days. And I remember saying to Matt, Pat and Jake, I was like, guys, you're responsible for millions of dollars right now. <laughs> like we were doing open mics six years ago. It's yeah. like trying to be like, hey, wouldn't it be crazy if we had these things? Mm-hmm. And now you are literally responsible for the employment yeah. of hundreds of people. <laughs> I mean, it's it was so cool to be there yeah. in the in the first couple of days and get to just do a little part on there. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's awesome. Yeah, <clears throat> just things just things will just come. Yeah. And then you've been well, on jo- roast battle as well, right? Yeah, yeah. I did Comedy Central's roast battle. Mm-hmm. I was in I was in the uh, roast battle too and uh it was a uh, what a fun experience to get mm-hmm. to do that on t- tv uh yeah just be a weirdo and put on crazy costumes and they let me do it my own way jeff ross was very just very much like just do you alex mm-hmm. whatever that is do it, <laughs> you know? nice that's awesome well george and i are responsible for dollars um by putting this podcast together and tens thank you for dollars. tens of dollars tens of dollars <laughs> So but thank you so much for being on, Alex. This is oh, awesome. Oh, what a pleasure. And, I was so glad to watch this movie again. So thank you yeah. guys for inspiring me to watch it again. Yeah, let's watch The Walk sometime and talk about it. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> it's a biopic, so we yeah. can, uh, you know. Joseph Gordon-Levitt, he's played Edward Snowden and Philippe uh, Petit. Like, you can just combine those. Combine a code-breaking <laughs> nerd, Tide Walker. Right. There you go. All right, thanks, guys. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thanks for listening. You can find more episodes of SupDoc, show notes, updates, and more at SupDocPodcast.com. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at SupDocPodcast. If you have comments, corrections, or want to suggest a documentary, email us at SupDocPodcast at gmail.com. The show is listener-supported. You can donate to the show at Patreon.com slash SupDocPodcast. If you can't donate financially, please subscribe, comment, or tell a friend about SupDoc. We'd like to thank Documentary News for their ongoing support. SupDoc is produced by Will Scoville. Our theme music is by David Siegel. 